What up, world? Past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast ne- Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Stumbling over my intro, but it's still going to be a great show, even if I didn't make it through the, the beginning part as smooth as I usually do, y'all. We've got a great show for you today. The Washington Post, Ben Golliver, Oregon's own Ben Golliver here, uh, wrote the book Bubble Ball. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the state of the Blazers because few few know a struggling Blazers team as well, or few can get the sort of the temperature of a struggling Blazers team as well as Ben Golliver, a veteran of mediocre Blazer basketball. Ben, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. So I was actually curious when you, you, when you reached out, did you want me to calm the rising fears or did you want me to stoke the rising fears? You know, because I've noticed just a lot of angst here over the last week or two, maybe honestly the last decade or two, frankly, you know, Blazers fans are always pretty, uh, pretty wired up but especially lately it seems like uh you know everybody's just kind of right on the edge of their seats right yeah there is a real anxiety hanging over this team and this fan base um it reminds me of the of the nate mcmillan mutiny season a little bit where it's just Ooh. like where it's just like this team is talented and they're screwing it up and i hate them and i'm you know it's like and there's just there's real anger um no point guards have threatened to fight anyone um, you know, Gerald Wallace and Jamal Crawford <laughs> are walking out, but it's um, there is th- that it's that level of angst just sort of hanging over this team, despite them being, you know, if you just if you just glance at the standings and you don't know the vibes like in an OK spot. Mike, was that a deep cut reference to come meet me at the Indigo from Raymond Felton? Is that what I heard you slip in there a, a little bit? deep cut reference to Latta, South Carolina, 2005 national champion Raymond Felton, who I once saw at Build-A-Bear in Durham, North Carolina, wearing a full Doc Gooden uniform. And then later, 10 years later, our, our lives crossed paths again, and he threatened to fight some people. He stays at the Indigo right off the Pearl. You know where to find me. So great. Such a great, I mean, that was, I mean, just an absolute meltdown of a season. You know, it started off at, with his birthday party put on by the wonderful Blazers PR staff where they oh, made no. the cupcakes. Oh, and no. I just, and I randomly took that photo of him, which I thought was kind of a sweet photo with him holding the cupcake. And it just wound up defining the entire season. Um, that was back when it was much more difficult to go viral with pictures. Uh, but now we're dating ourselves, you know, in terms of this current group, um, you know, sometimes like the night to night frustration, I do have a little bit of a hard time understanding because I, you know, I look at the team rankings and they're second worst in defense in the league. And if you're the second worst defensive team in the league, the only team I think worse right now is Sacramento where it's completely optional for them. You know, they, it's, I mean, some nights, whatever, you know, they're not even showing up one of the worst defensive teams in NBA history and you're in second place to them. I don't totally understand why there's X, on this group right like I understand there's a lot of offensive talent I know Dame's in his prime I know they're coming off a long playoff um, you know streak and that's going to continue this year you know and and to me when you look at them on paper they're exactly who they were last year a team that you know fought hard to make the first round and will go home quickly that just seems like their destiny so is it just the frustration that hey it feels like this has been five years of the same story or, you know, there was a, obviously a Western Conference Finals trip in there, but you know what I mean, kind of, right. you know, still not being able to find quite enough defense, not r- the right pieces, so many injury issues, just some of the Groundhog's Day stuff, or what is really driving the, the rise of the angst? Yeah, I think it's the hamster wheel for sure. Just like, okay, here they are again. They're not a very good defensive team. Each year they talk about, you know, being better on defense and all these things. Like they probably shouldn't be this bad on defense. That's pretty, a pretty 
I think they're the third <laughs> yeah. third worst defensive rating in the history of the NBA. Some of that oh, is skewed, my gosh. some of that is skewed by like offenses understanding what efficiency means now more than they have in the past. But some of that is also because they're really bad. Um, and, and I also just think there's a time element to it, an undeniable time element. Damian Lowe is going to celebrate his 31st birthday in July. And I think the fans are saying, you know, this guy's been, we've seen him for 10, you know, nine seasons and he's been so damn good. And are we, is this it? Like, is this, is this how the Damien Lord story ends? And there's a real anxiety about, um, you know, being stuck in the hamster wheel again for a few more years. Well, I get that for sure. You don't want to waste a season. I would also just kind of say like, it could be worse. Look what Golden's going through right now, right? right? Steph Curry's a couple years older and they're now having two years that were really ugly, really forgettable with gigantic swings in quality of play from night to night, right? So the one thing you do get from Lillard, even last night, you know, when they're down, whatever it was, 10 in the fourth quarter, he's going to give you a shot, you know, and Tatum hit one of the best shots he's hit all season, really all of his career to put Portland away. I mean, that was a very winnable game. Um, and Lillard's fingerprints are all over on that end game, you know, as always. So uh, you're in a nice spot because Lillard's not as old as some of his contemporaries. He has expressed no desire to leave hasn't really put pressure on the organization and they have found a relatively good winning formula that, you know, it's kind of like those Blazers teams back in like, you know, our childhood where it would just always be first round and out, first round and out, first round and out. And I would just say, don't take that for granted because there are some alternatives that are a lot uglier, a lot worse. And especially when you're in a smaller market, that's harder to dig out of, right? I mean, you get yourself into a five-year rut, um, you know, if you, if you make that lottery and, and just get stuck there. So I guess I'm more on the the preaching patient side of things, but you know some of that is also just impacted by the the overall pandemic. Like the big swings, those type of moves, you know, to really get a team out of a you know that kind of that that good but not great zone. Right. We're we're not really seeing those, especially here since the pandemic hit for financial reasons. The only team that has really been able to do that was Brooklyn. And I think that was such a unique situation because of Houston's ownership having such a need to get off a salary and because Harden had so much sway that he was able to force himself out of a spot. The real story has been all the stars locking up for as much money as possible, re-signing extensions so that they have financial security, and then teams being unwilling to take on future money in trades. And so that really limiting what, what the trade market looks like, right? I mean, the only player with a lot of future money who was traded at the deadline was Vucevic, right? So what this winds up doing is it has a hamster wheel effect for just about everybody across the league, you know? I mean, a lot of teams are just kind of stuck where they were with their group and you just kind of go to war and go to battle with those guys. And, uh, you know, if you get the same results, you get the same results. It's kind of, you know, everyone's thinking, well, next year will be more normal. So let's just do what we can to get to next year, right? And yeah. so I, I don't think Portland's fans should feel like they're the only ones in this spot. There's a lot of other fan bases that are sort of just kind of grinding their way through this pandemic season, hoping for something good to happen, kind of expecting it not to turn out that way. And then, you know, ultimately just counting down to the the next chapter of this league. Yeah, I think the the that the frustration stems from sort of the next the next chapter feeling similar. But yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I've been trying to say on this podcast is that like, it's okay to be okay. Like there's a lot of, um, you know, the I've joked about this before, but the Blazers closest rival in the league, the Sacramento Kings somehow, a cool 800 miles south of here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they've been, they're almost closing on two decades of not making the playoffs after 
a great run in the early 2000s. Like you can be in a much worse spot and like being consistently competent is pretty hard to do, um, even though it maybe doesn't feel rewarding as a fan. Like this is, I don't know. There's like you said, there's worse places. There's definitely worse places to be um, than where the Blazers are in sixth in the West right now. For sure. And, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, some teams, I think, even come back harder to earth because of their schedule stuff this year than Portland's had to really deal with. I know there's been a bunch of injuries for the Blazers, but, you know, look at the final four teams from the bubble. You know, it's the Lakers, the Heat, the Celtics and the Nuggets. Now, all four of those teams have basically had their seasons not ruined, but, you know, go completely off course from what they've expected. And, you know, coming way back to earth. And in the case of the Lakers, they could still pull it back together and make a deep run. You could argue the Heat might be able to do that as well. I'm still a little bit more skeptical of Miami this year because their offense has just been so inconsistent, you know, night to night. Um, but, you know, this is just a weird year all around. And, you know, Denver was the one of those four that had kind of escaped the shadow of the bubble. And yet now Jamal Murray goes down and, you know, their playoff uh, hopes kind of seem torpedoed at this point. So yeah, there's uh, a chance me, all four of those teams end up start the playoffs on the road. I mean, that's that's how weird this year has been. Yeah. And, you know, depending on how the Lakers chemistry pulls together, it wouldn't be inconceivable that all four of those teams go out in the first round, (laughs) you know? So, you know, that's, and I wouldn't be predicting that in the case of the Lakers, I still think they should be viewed as the favorites in the West, but that's just not something that we would ever have said in a normal year. Right. So, you know, you, you throw it all together. I think if you're a Blazers fans, the signs for optimism is just amazing clutch play all year long, winning, you know, tough games and close games. That hasn't always been, uh, you know, a Blazers team strength going back, you know, the the entire time I've covered that team. And it's made a difference in the standings. It's given them a cushion that they enjoy that a team like Dallas doesn't. I mean, all week we heard Mark Cuban and Luka Doncic whining about the play-in tournament. Well, (laughs) must be nice if you're the Blazers. You don't have to – that sounds like a a second-class problem, not a first-class problem. You know, you guys are back there in coach, and we're sitting up here having the free drinks, right? So um, there there are, you know, reasons for optimism, but – you know, it's not fun going into the playoffs feeling like you've got no shot. And, you know, this Murray injury could have real implications for Portland. It's possible Denver falls a couple spots to six. If it winds up being Lakers Blazers in the first round, that's the absolutely best case scenario for the Lakers. And to me, that's kind of the worst case scenario if you're the Blazers, because we saw what that looks like last year in the playoffs as well. So, um, you know, that's just one where that one's out of their control, but that would be really frustrating uh, for sure to kind of stare down the barrel of LeBron and AD yet again. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about potential playoff matchups briefly in the second segment, but first uh, you talked about hope and I want to talk about joy and happiness that's right, is the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And this week I'm giving it to none other than Yusuf Nurkic. Perhaps no one on the Blazers roster benefits more from enjoying the game than Yusuf Nurkic, who's, who, who needs that mental edge to be at his best. And Michelob wants you to know that enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. And at 2.6 carbs, 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And Frankly, Yusuf Nurkic's game is only worth it if he's enjoy if he enjoys it. If he's locked in, if he's using joy to create success, he's a much better basketball player and he raises the Blazers' ceiling a significant amount. So remember, are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? All right, we're still chatting here with Ben Golliver of the Washington Post, the author of Bubble Ball, and the former editor of Blazers Edge, your favorite website on the SB Nation uh, blogosphere. Ben, 
you alluded to this in the first segment. Uh, the Lakers are the worst possible matchup for the Blazers in the first round. But who do you think are some better ones? Like looking at the standings, you know, Utah, Phoenix, uh, the Clippers, the Nuggets, who else sort of above the Blazers in the standing right now do you think is a, is a good matchup for them? Well, the one that I would love to see is the Clippers just because of all the trash talk in the bubble yeah. last year and, you know, Lillard going with the chumps line and the Clippers guys just being all talk all the time. Are they going to be able to actually walk the walk? I think that would be just really fun television. I think if you're Portland, and I would say this about a lot of the teams, I feel the same way about Dallas as well. I think that they, they should want Phoenix uh, for a couple of reasons. I know Phoenix is very balanced. I understand that they've had just such a steady season, really good on offense, really good on defense all year. They've had amazing health. That's almost a reason where I feel like we're overstating how good they are, right? Because they haven't necessarily had the same regular season adversity as a lot of these other teams. You know, I look at Denver, both LA teams and Portland as being arguably better than their record. In Portland's case, it's tricky because they're so good in the clutch. But those other three teams, for sure, they've just had so much – you know, just drama with guys in and out of lineups, they're definitely better than their record. And I think for Phoenix, nothing's gone wrong. So I think they're actually a little bit worse than their record. And when you look at the playoff matchups, you know, Chris Paul tends to hit a wall. You know, he is going to have to play a lot more minutes in the playoffs. We saw that was a problem last year um, where, you know, his minutes ramp up and his inconsistency ramped up in the first round where they just had some real stinkers there with Oklahoma City. Um, There's a lot of unproven uh, pieces that I wouldn't necessarily feel great about trusting, starting with DeAndre Ayton. His impact can really vary widely. To me, he's one of the biggest X factors in the playoffs. And then Booker, who everybody loves to think is this amazing scoring guard, rising star, he shoots less than 30% in the clutch. (laughs) And he always wants to have the ball in his hands. And he's constantly hijacking their offense in key moments, right? So um, I just think, you know, if it turns into like a possession execution game, um, I don't feel like Phoenix has that sixth-year offensive ceiling either. Like, Utah can really shoot the basketball and generate three-pointers. And I think, I think they'd have Portland's defense just chasing their own tails and just never be able to keep up. Whereas with Phoenix, it's a, a more deliberate offense. You know, Portland's defense can kind of hang there. And then if you get it late into the game, I would actually trust the Blazers' guards a lot more than I would trust the, the Phoenix guards. So um, it's not an ideal situation. You never really want to have to face the two-seed. Uh, but I feel like if they could pick, they'd probably pick Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix would be my pick too. I'm with you on Utah. I think they're too good at exploiting cracks and the Blazers' defense is, uh, a, you know, it has has some of those. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's and, kind and, of been some demolition, you know. It's like the, the Home Depot projects have been going through Portland's defense. Exactly, exactly. A little DIY bathroom adjustments. I've, I've been there. Um, yeah, I, I think the Clippers, while it'd be great theater, you add Rondo to that group, a trash-talking legend. Um, I, I, big wings is not who the Blazers want to face in the playoffs. You do not want to face big wings and say, hey, Norm and hey, Mello, go guard these big wings. Like that is, that's not a good strategy. That's just, it does, it's not going to work out well for them. Um, I thought Denver was a good matchup for the Blazers prior to the Jamal Murray injury, not because I don't think Denver's good. I think they kick ass and Nikola Jokic is going to win the MVP. And if they gave me an MVP vote, he'd have mine. Sorry, Damian Lamont, Ollie Lillard Sr., but that's how it works. Um, but they, I don't know if they can guard guards super well. Like, I don't know if they have the personnel after losing Gary Harris and Torrey Craig to guard perimeter players at a really high level. Um, so I, I would say Denver and Phoenix are my one, two, if I had to pick Blazers uh, playoff matchups, particularly now without Jamal Murray, the, the Nuggets are just going to be worse. For sure. I mean, if somehow Portland could get into the four or five with Denver, then that's, that's ideal. I just not sure that's going to happen, unfortunately for them. I think 
you know, LeBron, the Lakers just kind of quietly have this really easy schedule the last couple of weeks of the season. So if LeBron's able to come back with like a week or two to go, you know, they're going to really be able to control their own destiny, I think, right. and, and make a late push. And so that probably keeps them at least at five. You know, I think the chance for them to slip down the standing is almost as kind of passed, frankly, because I agree. They, they, they went five and games. six in those first games. If they had gone something right. like, you know, two and seven, two and nine or whatever, then we would be talking, but they stayed afloat and now it's going to get easier. And the guys, the cavalry's coming back. A hundred percent. And I'll be honest. I was kind of politely analyzing the Lakers when LeBron went down and I was like, Hey, if you just kind of hang around 500 without the stars, you're going to be in business. And in my head, I was thinking they're probably going to lose three out of every four games here until AD is back. Right. And that really hasn't been the case. They won a couple ones real ugly. They took the surprise game off Brooklyn and they've kept themselves right where they need to be for that late season push. So I think that's probably going to come at Portland's expense. You know, if it's going to be four or five for Portland, it's probably them and the Lakers, not them and the Nuggets. And, you know, that doesn't really do you any favors. And at that point, you want to start thinking if you're the Blazers, do you want to even be the five, you know, or yeah, would you right. prefer to just hang out at the six and maybe you catch Clippers three, six, you know? Yeah, it's it gets it, the stupidest part. And we'll talk about this in the third segment is that I think there's an outside chance that seven becomes most appealing, like that the two seed is like is is Phoenix or something. And that becomes like we said, is the best matchup. But you don't <laughs> you don't want to go to seven like you don't because then it gets too, um you're you know, adding too much variance into your chance to stay at seven and then you might end up eight and blah, 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 blah. Like it's um, it's going to get dicey where where three might be the three seed might be a worse matchup and in the past where you could just juice it and say eh, who cares let's lose a couple games and get to seventh um this year you can't because of um i'd uh in th- the, the the playing tournament no you're 100 yeah, right I, I was gonna say you know enthusiasm driving late season enthusiasm or you know late season tv viewers you know it cash is cash remains king yeah how do you feel about this late this this uh this play in tournament because I feel like the complaints are very warranted from the Mavericks. Like if you look at where they, and I I understand people are just going to write them off as whiners, but seriously, like put yourself in their spot. You lose an entire month of the season because of COVID basically, because they have guys in and out of the lineup. So they're playing from behind the whole way. Now they're constantly trying to like build momentum as the season's going, but they play in the West where it's just like a lot harder to do that than in the Eastern conference. Right now you're in a situation where, you're chasing Portland and you're like two games behind Portland because you're trying to get to that six. So you don't have to deal with this plan. And in a normal year, you would look back and say, well, Hey, we're seven and we've got a two game cushion over San Antonio. So who cares? We'll just kind of chill out and rest some of our guys, but they have to play more games in a shorter amount of time because of the condensed schedule. They're feeling this constant pressure to try to get up to the six, but it's very difficult to climb. And they had one hand tied behind their back because of, uh, you know, the giant pandemic all season long. That's a lot of strife, and it totally changes their mentality and approach to the season. By the time they get to that play, and they're going to be exhausted, you know, it's like because they've been basically playing de facto playoff games for the last two months to try to uh, get themselves up in the order. Um, I understand those concerns. I think it's kind of dumb to say, hey, we're forcing you to play 72 games in this short amount of time, but only two games are actually going to count to secure your playoff spot. I just I don't like it. If I was a competitor, it would drive me crazy. I would just feel way too random. And it would just feel gimmicky. And I kind of hope they don't bring this thing back next year. I hope they just stick with a normal schedule. What do you think? So I um, I was in favor of it in theory, but now that we're getting here, I can see it reminds me of like baseball's single elimination uh, playoff, like single wild card game where you play 162 games and then you like totally devalue it. 
I've seen the argue that it um, that it makes the regular season in some ways more valuable because sixth is so much more important than seventh. But really, it devalues the difference between seven and ten as opposed to overvaluing the difference in six and seven. So I understand the complaints. Like I'm with you. Um, I think that I, it doesn't make sense. Like the best part about the league is that it's a meritocracy. Um, you know, you play 80 games to figure out if you're good or not, and then you play to. 10 week playoff schedule to figure out if you're better than everyone else. And like you reward the best team at the end. It almost always is the best team in the NBA uh, who wins the title, except for last year's Lakers, those fakers. No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, I I think this, this tends to sort of devalue the difference between um, what the Mavs are doing and what the Pelicans are doing. These, their seasons will end up being relatively equal, despite one of those teams being way better. I do think though, Mark Cuban really comes off as the, the timing of the complaint comes off as real serious sour grapes, like real, it's just bad PR, honestly. I don't even think he's wrong. I just think he looks like he just, it's just real sour grapes in a way that is um, kind of, kind of par for the course for our boy. Yeah, I I completely understand that. Um, I like it when owners and high profile executives and players will actually push back on NBA decisions in public, because I think that helps the league get to a better spot because it does apply a little pressure and it takes some guts, honestly, to come out and be like, Hey, we made this decision. And in hindsight, it was actually bad because, you know, the NBA has had a few missteps here, you know, over these last couple of years, there's really no way around it. The play-in tournament a- absolutely worked in the bubble because, you know, you are you are trying to just, you know, tackle an unprecedented challenge of, hey, nobody's watched sports for four months. Now we're about to get into the playoffs, so we better give them something to kind of get the get the juices flowing. And it worked great there. You know, having this after this nightmare of a season where guys can't even go out on the road and they're constantly, you know, games are being postponed in January and, you know, players are in and out of the lineups. And, you know, you look at some of these national TV games, the top six players aren't even playing in them. Right. You know, having having to play in after all of that, it's just like, really, you know, should we be doing this? And you know, looking forward ahead to next year, the idea of playing 82 games and then a play in and then the playoffs, you know, coming off of, you know, what's been just a really weird calendar here. If I was the players, I would say no way. I'd be like, come on, this is just way too much. Let's just chill out and go back to how it was. Yeah. Well, it's always curious. Like the, the players association seems to sometimes agree to stuff. And then when it gets into function, be like, this sucks, actually. Like, <laughs> this actually sucks. So I hope that they take like a real, a real look and say like, no, we all collectively hate this. Um, even if it's good to have Zion on TV for a couple more games. Yeah. I mean, two final thoughts. One, absolutely. The players just don't have a lot of leverage right now. So anything the NBA owners say, hey, this could make some money, they pretty much have to say yes to. I think second thought, um, the real test will be if Golden State makes the play in. How many people watch Will Steph Curry go home that game? Right. Because the Warriors traditionally have had some of the biggest television audiences here over the last five years. They always get the primetime games on Christmas and other holidays. Steph Curry is, you know, arguably the most popular player in the sport, you know, at this stage, right. In terms of really driving fan interest. And so if he's in a one and done where like seasons over, even if Wiseman's hurt, even if Clay Thompson's out and whatever else, that should be the type of game that gets like 4 million people to tune in. Right. Like, cause it's not an NBA finals game, but it's bigger deal than a Christmas game because the whole season's on the line. And I'm just not sure there's that much excitement around this play-in. And I think they might wind up getting these numbers back and say, wow, like 
Steph's whole season was on the line and they only got whatever, you know, a million and a half or two million people watched it. Was this even worth six months of effort to do this? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I think, I, I think that's a good call. It's like, if this ends up being like just a television bonanza, it's here to stay and there's nothing the players are going to be able to do about it. But, um, you know, I can see a scenario where like Spurs Grizzlies is not exactly a big draw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, that's, that's not what ESPN was hoping for when they came up with the idea. That's for sure. Yeah. Keldon Johnson refuses to go away. Come back, tune into the fourth quarter next. Uh, let's. Well, let's, I, I, I love Keldon Johnson, by the way. One of the all time great nicknames, Big Body. What a great nickname. I wish they called me Big Body. I mean, it would be completely erroneous, but it would be nice to have that in my, uh, in my repertoire. I could, we could introduce you all, introduce you in the third segment as, as Big Body. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the littlest body. If you know, it's just, I got, uh, flesh in all the wrong places but he's awesome he's an interesting little player he tries to uh, dunk everything the, how can you not love him for sure and just super yeah physically imposing on the ball and yeah but at the same time you're dead right yeah big body is not drawing big tv number yeah no one's you know, no one's watching Jakob ninja purtle out there like doing his thing <laughs> as good as this as solid as my man is that's not drawing eyeballs uh Ben, you wrote a book. I want to talk about it in the third segment. Let's uh, let's do that. But first, I want to tell my listeners all about Built Bar. You know Built Bar? It's the best tasting protein bar ever. Comes in a, All of our flavors are amazing, and they're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. If you've dabbled in the world of protein bars in the past, you know some of them are chalky and gross. That's not what Built Bar is doing. They're making delicious bars, and all of them are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, they're good and good for you. So head on over to their website, builtbar.com, and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. This episode's also brought to you by betonline.ag. It's just the fastest and easiest way to place all your bets online. You want to bet on the NBA playoff race? You want to bet on the early MLB season, you want to bet on the stretch run of the NHL playoffs or pretty much anything else you could dream of, Bet Online is the place you're going to do it. They got real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Plus, they got live scores, up-to-date news. It's just the best and easiest way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So go ahead and do that now by visiting their website, betonline.ag, and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get a 50 excuse me, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That is betonline.ag. The promo code is locked on and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked on Blazers. Still chatting here with the Washington Post's Ben Golliver. Ben, big body Golliver as he's known in some parts of the world. <laughs> Ben, you wrote a book. It's called Bubble Ball. It's, it's available now for pre-order, available now on Amazon and, and Barnes and & Noble. Correct. Yeah, it releases on May 4th, but you can pre-order now both of those places, Powell's, a bunch of other spots. And there's going to be an audio ber- version as well coming out on Audible. And I read it. So we have everybody covered all directions. Awesome. Um, so I have I have seen the cover of this book on the internet. I've seen I I know what it looks like, but I have not seen the inside. Tell us what we're going to get when we get Bubble Ball. Well, you know it's it's basically my journey from the shutdown through the championship, uh, uh, you know the, the championship celebration there in Orlando. So I, I try to just capture this almost like a historical document, a time capsule 
I, I just understand like there's going to be future generations of fans who are going to look back and say, wow, 2020 was an incredible year for the NBA. You had the Hong Kong China fiasco. You had Kobe Bryant's death, David Stern's death, the pandemic, the shutdown and the bubble kind of all rolled into one. And I thought, look, this is the time uh, where a book that just kind of summarizes all of it into one place is, uh, you know, is written and just kind of, you know, held up for history. So, um, you know, it's a first person account as I'm kind of reporting on a lot of this stuff, reflecting back on it as I go. Uh, but of course, the, the meat of the book is the actual bubble experience itself. I was there for 93 days, 92 nights. I went to every single playoff game from the second round on and a whole bunch of playoff games, obviously, before that. But, you know, you can only be in one place at one time and there's just so much going on there. Uh, but I tried to dive in headfirst to the experience. And the book, you know, from a basketball perspective, I try to highlight what mattered and what did in terms of winning in the bubble. What were the characteristics of teams that found success in that weird environment? And, uh, you know, what were teams undoings? And then obviously there's a lot of off-court stuff going on too, from the social justice um, activism to the Bucks shutdown, where I was there as one of three reporters when they first didn't take the court, um, you know, to um, everything really in between. And, you know, I was up close and personal. I mean, I literally got drenched head to toe in champagne by LeBron James after game six of the finals. <laughs> so it, I'm trying to give that level of feel and access, uh, you know, to the experience. And then obviously, you know, I, I spent about two and a half months writing it and uh, you know, in the, in the first draft. And then, you know, obviously there's an editing process after that, but as I was writing it, I was trying to reflect back and, and kind of add just additional uh, thoughts and, and, um, you know, details and texture to what I had lived through because everything was coming so fast last summer. I mean, the presidential election was hanging over these games, of course, as well. You had the kneeling protests. Uh, you had LeBron going for his fourth ring, lots of big picture storylines. And so you know, just taking some time to, to think back on that and, and to kind of, like I said, put into a first person journey. I hope people will enjoy it. I wrote a basketball book for basketball fans. And of course, it's never quite that simple. We, we go off into a lot of different tangents, but uh, you know, hopefully it's a little something for everyone. You are a, you are a, a man who back in the day used to spend the, uh, the entire summer league and then into USA basketball camp in Vegas. So that's like, you know, 45, 50 days consecutive in Vegas. That's probably nothing compared to 90 some days in, in, <laughs> inside the hermetically sealed Orlando bubble, huh? Well, I talk about how the bubble was kind of for the diehard fans watching at home and for the masochists who were there. You know, I was out there walking in like 95 degrees, sticky, sweltering heat every single afternoon, just because that's when it aligned with my schedule when I would get my little daily workouts in. And sure enough, Eric Spolstra is out there just grinding out his own miles, getting his little exercise in before games with his heat culture t-shirt and just, you know, <laughs> completely just locked in and focused on life. And so um, you know, I, I did try to bring in how challenging it was from a mental standpoint. You know, I'm not afraid to say this, like I put on weight when I was there. I was a lot, I didn't sleep nearly as well. I was less happy. I felt isolated. I talk about how, you know, when those fires, wildfires hit Oregon, you know, and, and being 3000 miles away from my family and just kind of being worried about them and, and feeling kind of helpless and hopeless. And there wasn't much I could do there. Um, that was all part of the experience too. And of course the players felt it. And of course that impacted wins and losses. There's no way around it. You know, some sure. teams just really never wrap their minds around, you know, being down there for three months and being in it for the long haul. So I try to get into all those angles for sure in this book. And um, for me though, I've always loved summer league, always been a basketball junkie. And so 
you know, the bubble, it was very challenging, but at the same time, the flip side to it was, it was very quirky. You know, I'm walking around these Disney grounds. I'm seeing armadillo, you know, I'm seeing, (laughs) I'm seeing giant snakes, you know, I'm seeing alligators. You know, one day I walked by the Denver Nuggets uh, GM spotted an alligator. So we're all sitting there on the side of the pond waiting for this alligator to kind of show its head. I mean, just weird stuff that you would never get anywhere else. And so I try to make sure that both sides come through, not only just the grind aspect to it, but also the quirky fun aspect to it. And you had guys like Tyler Hero, Jamal Murray, and others really step forward and have amazing postseasons. And I want to make sure they got their moment in the sun as well. Yeah, listen, bubble MVP, Damian Lillard, for our listeners here. <laughs> well, he's in there as well. And Eight and glorious games. Oh, coincidentally, and I, and I get into my reaction to just the amazing trash talk. So I talk about that in the book for sure. And also just coincidentally, the night after they wrapped up um, the play-in, or, or sorry, after they, um, yeah, after they qualified for the play-in round, um, they were celebrating in the lobby, basically, or I guess it was after they had, uh, they had sealed up the eighth seat, right? So they right, were the last Memphis team. on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. correct. They were, so they were the, the official... Uh, yacht club champions uh, that was you know they were the last team standing in the yacht club which was the third hotel during the bubble yeah and so coincidentally the media was invited to a dinner that night at the yacht club which was typically off limits to us and as we're eating our dinner at the yacht club it was my first meal in a restaurant in more than four months obviously because of the pandemic and here's Carmelo Anthony and Damian Lillard and Terry Stotts and Neil O'Shea all kind of celebrating in the lobby. And they have a big sign that says, you know, kind of like, welcome back Blazers. You've won it. And, uh, you know, just, again, a surreal experience where, you know, typically, you know, you, you lock up a playoff uh, appearance. You're probably going to the club. You're probably going somewhere cooler than the yacht club where, you know, uh, at Disney world, you probably got a bunch of families out there who are going to take some boat trips and, and, uh, you know, ride some roller coasters. And yet they're kind of stuck in that uh, environment and, and we were right there next to them. So, I got some interesting details like that in that book for Blazers fans as well. Yeah. All right. Listen, go get bubble bubble ball, wherever you can get books. That's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, pals, um, indie bookstores, big bookstores, you know, y'all know how to get books comes out May 4th. You can pre-order it right now. As you're listening to this bubble ball written by Ben Golliver, a dude who a a true basketball junkie writing for basketball junkies. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to reading it myself, Ben. Well, let me know what you think. I'd love your feedback. And the other cool thing is, you know me, I love Instagram and taking photos. And they were nice enough to include some photos, you know, of, of my different uh, adventures. So, um, you know, I've got some, you know, just from weird press conference angles because the press conferences were so weird. They're all spaced out and socially distant. Uh, you know, I got, uh, you know, some from this champagne celebration. Got just some like, you know, Jamal Murray spraying uh, Michael Malone with water after they had that crazy first round series victory over the Utah jazz and, you know, everything else in between all the weirdness I try to capture there as well. So it's, uh, it's got some nice photos in the middle of the book too. Awesome. People looking for more of you, Ben, they can read you in the Washington post, subscribe to your newsletter, subscribe to the dang paper, follow Ben on the internet. He is, uh, available where you can find him at Ben Golliver and, uh, we'll have you back on soon. I would love to do it. My good luck at down the stretch. And uh, hopefully uh, you can, you know, kind of tamp down some of the frustration there, the, the rising tide of anger in, in, in Rip City. And, uh, you know, hopefully in the not too distant future, I'll be able to get back up home and, you know, see my family and check out a Blazers game at the Moda Center and all that good stuff. We're, I think we're, we're getting there. We're almost there. And, and that's always nice. Yeah, we're, we're for the first time, there's a finish line here. So I'm looking forward to it, too. 
Appreciate you joining us, Ben. We'll do it again soon. All right. Sounds great, man. Take care. Yep. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. will be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.